Looking forward to a cogent, carefully constructed interview with Chris Wilson. Beautiful downtown Miner's Oaks. We're recording. Very well, thank you. Cue that music, Jim Bailey. Hello and welcome to the Don't Look at Me podcast. Today's podcast is brought to you in part by the Ojai app. This is an application for your smartphone device, either your iPhone or your Android. And the Ojai app now has just launched the 2013 Local Holiday Shopping Guide. It gives you punch card deals, redeemable offer deals, front page ad deals. So if you've got a product or service, or if you want to find out about what's available locally in Ojai, you can download the Ojai app onto your iPhone or your Android device, and you can be a little smarter about what's happening locally. The Ojai app, ojaiapp.com. It's really great. They put a nice picture of me and Reed Fish on their insider publication that they handed out at Ojai Day. And I got word a few days ago that about 500 people so far have downloaded the Ojai app. That's pretty cool. Let's make it a thousand people. Come on. Download the Ohio app. You can listen to the podcast right through the Ohio app. You can find out about events. You can share your art. You can share your short pieces of writing with the Ohio app. It's something you can really use. You can actually integrate your opinions into it. Let's build this local online community by using uh, the technology that's available to us for us and made by us here in ojai food we all need it we need it to survive and that's what this podcast is about today it's gonna be about food you know one thing i like about food that i eat is that it has a face on it and that's what this podcast is gonna be about today it's gonna be about the face on a lot of the food i eat which is uh the organic or else face from the farmer and the cook. New design from Chris T. Wilson, and now available on tote bags that I also tie-dyed at the farmer and the cook. And the podcast you're about to hear is my interview with Steve Sprinkle, the local, regional, national legend of the organic movement. Farm to table, CSA, or community-supported agriculture, which has grown exponentially, uh, or is that fair to say? I'm not a mathematics expert, but uh, it has grown a lot in the last several years. He gives some numbers on that. And Steve is also just a fun, interesting fellow to visit with. He's a joy to be around. I find myself frequently laughing at his wry and mysterious sense of humor. And uh, we sit down in his office at the Farmer and the Cook in Miner's Oaks, and uh, we get the mics turned on and let them roll. This is relatively unedited, just to be clear, so you know. Steve Sprinkle is the farmer of the Farmer and the Cook. He and Olivia Chase, who is the cook of the Farmer and the Cook, have been running that place since, what, spring of 2001, I think they opened sometime? Fall 2001? It might have been the fall, actually. Maybe it was the summer. But uh, that's, you know, a dozen years now and a half that they uh, have successfully been bringing food to the uh, Ojai Valley that is of the highest quality, that has a real face on it, the face of Steve Sprinkle and Olivia Chase. You, you can know them and you can buy groceries and meals from them that are delicious. You know they're non-GMO. You know they're organic. You know that it's local or regionally grown uh, produce, 
the greatest majority of it coming directly from the farm, uh, Steve Sprinkle's farm, who he's farmed all over the valley, uh, Upper Valley, and uh, currently he's went off of Baldwin Road there at the place that used to be the uh, women's jail. Uh, he's got several acres. I'm not sure how big exactly, maybe 10. I'm not sure how many acres he's farming there exactly, but he's got a lovely farm. You can see it really nicely from uh, South Rice Road. If you go uh, Rice and then you kind of rise up on Rice, you can look down over the, the farm. So south of Baldwin on Rice Road, you can look down at the farm. It's, it's quite a lovely view. Um, I've done it several times just for that. So anyway, Steve Sprinkle. Uh, and I sat down and talked, and he uh, enlightened me about uh, some of his early days, his uh, um, opinions and ideas about uh, what's going on uh, locally in terms of water and uh, pests that he's dealing with in an organic manner on an organic farm, and uh, just other things, including a letter he wrote to, to the FDA to an address and a proposal that uh, he be shackled with uh, more regulations and uh, more uh, oversight and more paperwork from the government. So he reads that letter. It's a delight because he is an excellent writer, an excellent farmer, and I love the farmer and the cook. And uh, eating at the farmer and the cook on the weekends has been one of my favorite things. They also support me through the uh, window washing um, up and uh, the, the tote bags and T-shirts. So check those out at the Farmer and the Cook, Miner's Oaks on El Roblar. What are they, uh, eight-something, nine-something El Roblar? I don't know. <laughs> I don't even know the farmerandcook.com. Figure it out if you haven't, if you don't know about it yet. Figure it out because you should at least be uh, somewhat aware of it. So enjoy my conversation here with Steve Sprinkle. Wow, that's nice, nice and loud. Give it a couple more inches from your mouth. You want to maybe four inches or so. A little four inches? Yeah, yeah. How does that sound? That sounds really good. Okay, good. Yeah, so, it's like, yeah, there'll be less wind activity. Can hear some nice background noise, a fridge sitting here in the office at uh, the yes. farmer and the cook. Yes. There may be some grinding going on outside. I, see I a, hope so. I see a lovely young lady uh, jiggling a Vitamix. And now that sound you hear is the coming of the chipotle lime salt soon Yum. the chipotle lime we have the cook here of the farmer and the cook she just walked in so i'm sitting here with steve sprinkle of the farmer and the, the farmer of the farmer and the cook and uh he agreed to uh, let me interview him for my podcast yes I'm mad for the. I'm mad for all the publicity. Can't get enough of it. Well, it's good for business. No, has to be. You've been in a few publications. What uh, the L.A. Times, New York Times, write about you. Sunset Magazine. Sunset Magazine. Travel and Leisure. Travel and Leisure. Vanity Fair. Guy was here from the Reader's Digest oh, yeah. the other day. He photographed me as well. Yeah, that's right. Uh, Glenn. Did he eat? He ate and he and and he interviewed us out at the farm. Took photographs. Had an interesting um, interview method. Did he ask you uh, about the meaning of happiness? Oh, like what my version of hat? What yeah. Brings what makes you? you happy? And he did ask me that question. He got right into it. I, I didn't know if he was shrinking me down or he was really interviewing me. What? How did you answer? Do you remember what you told him? I don't really know. I don't think I can answer that question because I'm I'm kind of a straight line sort of person. I you know, it's like, yeah, I'm I'm pretty happy, but 
you know, my satis- I'm, I'm at a high level of satisfaction kind of all the time. I mean, I'm, I'm, I can be peeved or I can be frustrated, but generally speaking, eh, I just don't sweat that stuff. Now, is know? that like a characteristic of your entire life or is that something you think you've cultivated? Uh, no, I, I, I don't even think I've cultivated it. I think it's been it's ended up being sort of a result um, of of of, of um, having to deal and to deal and to deal and and just finally it's just sort of like business like yeoman's work you know just dealing with it and just going on to the next thing i know i mean are you saying like that's a training uh thing that's happened to you as a result of specifically from the farmer and the cook no or i think prior just, to the farmer i and think the cook? just generally for example on one hand uh you could say that i'm facing a calamity oh my I'm just I'm facing what, death? two calamities. No, just two calamities. I don't know if that would be a calamity. The calamity would be, one, the onset of this bug. Oh, the citrus Bagrata hilaris. Oh, I don't Bagrata know about Bagrata hilaris, one. the bug that makes it impossible to, to produce bok choy, broccoli, cauliflower, Brussels sprouts, cabbage, arugula, radishes, radish turnips do you see where i'm headed with this you're gonna be about 52 percent of all the things you normally grow during the fall done gone now you're faced with this is is it here for years for two years now i'm in the second year of it how are you dealing with it i just decided to let the bug win oh so what no no i'm waving the white flag surrender I decided I will grow everything it does not eat. I will grow spinach and chard and lettuce and fennel and uh, carrots and cilantro and parsley. And, you know, there's a repertoire. Onions, garlic, you know, there's a lot of repertoire. You can, so you can shift not- out. I mean, I, I love to grow those other things. They're very remunerative, but everyone is facing this problem and that's one reason why all these things are suddenly so expensive at retail broccoli three and four dollars a pound not two cabbage i've never seen things like this so expensive wholesale cabbage 45 dollars a box organic get out of here it's a 20 dollar item wow everything's double because of people's inability to um produce things the fall used to be golden the fall used to be the best time to produce these things. Sure. Arugula. God, you got to just grow too much of this stuff. But you see, going back to what you're saying about, you know, my attitude? You're, yes. To goodbye. To hell with it. I don't care. Oh, you're okay? You're at peace with that then? You're fine? It's a calamity. You, ah. you said you're facing two calamities. Do we Water. Hear both of them? No Water. rain. Oh. No rain. It not, it, we've got some lo- uh, ominous clouds in the sky at the moment. Ah, it's just the stratus. It's teasing yeah, us. Yeah, it's just the ocean. There's nothing. Is it going to rain this year? We, we face sure, it'll rain. How much? Will you get 8, 10, 12? Will you get 25 or 40? And 40, not likely. Probably not. We have I mean, in the past, and we definitely well, well, it's not we stand to have a good 40. Well, the, the, I was at the lake. uh well, a couple weeks ago, and the, the lake was 40 feet low. They said it's losing half an inch a day, and that for every inch of rain beyond that, you know, that ground uh, uh, soak up period, three, four days later, 
the rain that comes after day four or five, for every inch of rain, the, the lake will go up a foot. So then uh, to be full, you need 40 inches of rain. That's, I mean, in a valley where we get, what, 22 on a good year? 25 inches? What's our average? 23? Our average is 18. 18. A good year is 25. A, a, uh, an ab- abnormal year is in the 30s and 40s, but we had a 40 back in 07, right? But you got a good well, right? Are you worried about sucking water I have out of that the, well? I have the best well in the region. But if I turn my well on and go and, and, and pump 800 gallons a minute for two hours, which I can, I will dry up the municipal water source. It's not very nice. I mean, you want to be friendly well, and share. Yeah, you know, I don't want that. I don't want to have the guy. I was threatened with an injunction. Oh, wow. By what, the Casitas? The or? former, the former uh, manager of the uh, Ventura County River Water District, who's now departed, taken an early retirement. <laughs> Gone off at an early age to fish elsewhere. Well, that's nice. Uh, so I mean, what do you do? do wait, what's your, your solution then to your water issues? Uh, grow less, expect less, wait and see. Um, essentially, we're sharing. And it's not like you would expect that other people who don't have restrictions, and we don't so far, are doing the same thing. I just felt like it was a good opportunity to to uh to uh be a good citizen and to and to and to create an example that people would would um uh acknowledge <clears throat> is kind of where we really sh- all should be is let's just turn turn down our expectations a little bit and see if we can weather this drought wow it's been two years now of what 10 inches 12 inches of rain per year yeah, and the, and, the, and the problem with that rain is that it, it falls in, in half-inch and quarter-inch um, dustings. So, in other words, you're just not really getting, you're not getting the kind of water you were just talking about. Yeah, it's a little bit kind you of soaks you need, in, then you dries need, out again. Uh, an event. You need an event that will last for uh, four days. So that the ground gets saturated, and then the river runs. They throw open the gate. And if they could throw the gate open when there's, um, say, 80 cubic feet per second going by the river or 140 cubic feet per second, then you fill the lake up. Mm. Okay. It's kind of a heavy subject, isn't it, kind of? But you're dealing with that all the time. Yeah. And so, and I think that's the kind of thing that scares me. It worries me a little bit. It fills me with trepidation, the thought of the lake drying up or the, you know, I guess I'm a doom and gloom deep down inside. You know, it's the, the world's turning into a big dry well, mushroom. Well, it's not this, you know, this doesn't even approach the, uh, the historical droughts that California has had in my lifetime. Oh, okay. I don't remember 1958, 57, 58, 59's drought, but it's in the books to read about in which the Metropolitan Water District of Los Angeles was unable to meet demand for a population that was less than one-third of what it is now. That's amazing. So what we were talking about was like, why why do I have this, not blasé, but sort of philosophical attitude? I suppose it's because I constantly have to deal with things that are beyond my control anyway. 
drought, bugs. What about your employees? My employees? They're in your control. No, I, they're 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 not they're they're beyond my control because I let somebody else hire and manage them. But oh, okay. actually, the empo- the employees we have now, I mean, you really couldn't ask for a better crew. This crew was like impeccable. And that's how like, long? Well, like there's how long? one or two out of thirty that are problems. You have thirty employees currently. A more, more. The farm and the we cook have is dishwashers. Really, we have you come on really strong in the, the last floors. couple of years. What do you we, think? What, what made the difference? Because things really, it seems to have shifted in the business in terms I think of. That, I think that um, after, I think that in the last five or six years, by focusing on the food, not trying to be everything and do everything with the whole music thing, which was a fiasco, and then focusing on the food, getting some really good publicity, um, uh, benefiting from uh, people's uh, utility with uh, 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 the internet. The mobile devices, being able to find food. Like I, I, I ran into some people from New Hampshire here last night. Oh wow! That Found us on the web. Wanted some more organic. New and Hampshire. Don't you, aren't you grateful too? Also, that you're like the only all organic place in Ohio. I mean, that that captures the imagination of a subset of this local population and the visitor base that's just not being well, met yes, at I, any I, other. I mean, you know, we've got a grocery store in town that does a pretty good job. They're doing okay, but they're not, you know, as committed and vigilant as well, the farmer. Well, they want to have, they want to service a broader clientele. Yeah, sure. So they they want to, then they want to, for example, have uh, they want to have they want to have chicken. They want to serve chicken um, to at their deli, yeah. Yeah. which is uh, fine. I mean. The, remember that the vegetarian population is it really double digits? No, it's like eighty percent or something. Oh, really? And yeah. so our our potential clientele, we've limited ourselves, you know, because Daddy wants meat. Yeah. Mommy knows that we shouldn't be eating all this meat, especially this this conventional meat. But Daddy wants meat, and so you're you're automatically cutting Daddy out because um, the the. Um, the restaurant doesn't serve any meat. Doesn't we don't cook meat, and so you, we've kind of created ourselves as the the new kosher. And you, I mean, is that like a uh, something you committed to early on with the kitchen? Like this is just going to be a vegetarian kitchen, and you just determined yeah. to stick with that. Yeah, we we and because for one thing, it was this practical. The availability of organic meat was very very sporadic. Right. The cost was prohibitive. We knew that we weren't going to be able to demand those kinds of $24, $25 a plate items. We didn't really want to have that kind of clientele. We wanted to have a a, a, um, a relaxed corner grocery, regional, local um, place where people could get a dependable bowl of soup and a sandwich. Yummy. And not have and not and not try to satisfy too many um, market requirements. Focused on the food, got the music out, got a good crew in here. Yeah. Now, uh, how how do you think things have changed since you started the business? What what did you think your expectations were in two thousand one or two thousand when you really started cooking this? I had idea? high expectations when we first started, and they were not met for years. How did you struggle through that? What was your what was your ability? Well, to the farm keep under has underwritten a lot of the costs. So, in other words. 
we don't really, really have to pay for, I didn't have to pay for a lot of the stuff that we used, and so we could have. Get your uh, mic, your mic we, cables. Uh, we, we could have. Okay, now can we you didn't really it? have to pay for uh, things, and and we could ride out the peaks and 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 valleys of market pricing. So, if all of a sudden there was no cabbage, I had cabbage. It didn't really matter, and so also if we have something that. Um, that we made that has been kicking around the refrigerator. People aren't eating it on the salad bar. It goes right into the compost bins and, and, and goes to Shiva's chickens or to Karen's chickens. We don't mess around with stuff that's not, it's not useful. We don't, we're, not, we're not invested in it so, you know, so thoroughly as someone might be if you had to pay for it. Oh, well, you're buying. So we have to pay for it. So in other words, it really costs us to to rent the land, to irrigate sure. it, and so on. But but in terms of the whole scheme of things involved with the CSA, the farmers market, the shipping trade, and all the other uh, things that we sell, then the ability to have all that product, you know, helps provide a floor to the store. This, so you're you're not so. Um, uh, you're not so nervous about the bottom line. I see. Um, when did you get into organics? I mean, what what really stimulated your interest in 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 going away from conventional farming or not in, being involved in conventional well, farming? Well, I grew at up all? in I grew up uh, in uh, as an organic gardener. Okay. And uh, my mother uh, didn't use chemicals in her gardens, and she had a very large, mostly horticultural, mostly um, specimen garden. In other words, uh, high-end things like azaleas and things like that. And my grandparents did, too. And so I grew up with that kind of background. And then, then, you know, I'm a child of the 60s, and so... Um, then, then I, I I was in the back to the land movement. Where were you based growing up? Where'd you grow up? Uh, Los Angeles. Oh, okay. You know, uh, Los Angeles County mostly, Glendora, Cucamonga, Claremont. Okay. And so then, uh, and I spent a year in school, dropped out of school, and ended up going getting involved in the in the counterculture, which was mostly. Uh, uh, food production oriented. The people that I was involved with, we we did art and we also had our own gardens. And essentially what happened was the gardens, by the time 1975 rolls around, then all the gardens get out of control and there's just far, far too much zucchini and uh, commerce is born. And so there were little co-ops Okay. Starting up, then the then there were the gro- the sm- first grocery stores, um, in like Rainbow Grocery in San Francisco, and sure. um, and uh, the small markets in Santa Cruz and Santa Barbara, you know, like uh, in Santa Barbara. There was a commune. Sunburst. Okay. In Santa Barbara in the seventies. And they had their own farms as well. So what I'm doing is not really that breathtakingly different from a, a model that you could say. I mean, uh, you, do you know Knott's Berry Farm? Yeah. Knott's Berry Farm really was a berry farm, and Mrs. Knott started making berry pies. 
and then things kind of escalate. And now they've got a Ferris wheel. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Mine's going to – I'm going to be installing one next door. Do you have this plot? Is that – Yeah, and I'm going to make a little carnival. And a, and a pitch and putt nine hole. Do you have a name for that? It's still just the farmer and the it's cook. It's the John fun? Muir Memorial Garden. Okay. <laughs> but we're going to put a Ferris wheel in there, uh, a little pitch and putt nine, a nine, uh, a nine, a nine hole. hole, and um, I, I maybe uh, maybe so a badly. mud bath. A mud bath, very nice. Could it be like a mud flotation tank? Yeah, something like that. Like an isolation tank. Yeah, a mud flotation tank, and we'll probably use that. And we'll use that as one of the hazards for the golf course. Oh, okay. For the people in the tank. <laughs> this is going to be great. And we're looking at what uh, summer of twenty fourteen for an opening. Oh, date? yeah. As soon as yeah, as soon as the, this this fabulous rain se- rainy season's over with. Okay, great. Can't so yeah, so you get so you get all these 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 um, uh, these historical precedents like Sunburst, you know, and so Sunburst was a big deal. Their co-ops are a big deal. So then you go from that's like 75, 78, and then and then 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 there are actual food stores that have pretensions, like Mrs. Gooch or Whole Foods, you know, which had started with one store in out in Austin, Texas. Mm-hmm. I'm familiar now with now they the have three hundred and fifty-one, and so uh, and so now if you fast forward to what you see now. Well, I'm just a very small player. I'm still kind of doing what I, I used to do. Did you work in some of those co- uh, uh, situations, those, like con? I used con to. I used to. Or, I used uh, to work in the sell co- co-ops. You, yeah, you I'm, I've been a member of co-ops. I have a member. I was a member of the Milpas Co-op, the Isla Vista Food Co-op, uh, a co-op in Texas. So yeah, I, I did that, and I grew for those co-ops, and. Um, and they were the significant, like the Isla Vista Food Co-op and the and the Wheatsville Co-op in Austin were big, big customers. And just before Farm of the Cook started, what were you doing? Were you farming, still just farming CSA uh, no, style? No, I was traveling around the country. I was, I was a, a, a journalist, and I was also an organic certification inspector. And I was also working, um, uh, going to meetings. So I was doing three things. I was going to meetings uh and conferences i was reporting on the conferences i was learning from things from the conferences i was i was also providing information at these conferences so it would be an epa regional conference a food and drug administration united states department of agriculture um convocation something like that or a conference for you know, for all these farm groups and so and on. You're, so you're presenting or reporting on? I was reporting on, or I would, or I would provide, um, I would provide uh, input as as a professional. I see. So, for example, one for for two weeks, I went to Canada and I was on an FDA commission. Okay. Just the one thing. Now, is this like your, your one-man gig, or you were employed by someone doing this? No, I wasn't employed. You were just kind of a consultant? I, was, I, was doing, doing I did that on my own ticket. Okay. I, I, did that on my own, I did that on my own ticket. So I would go to all these farms. I would inspect the farms, and I'd get paid 100 and a quarter or 250 depending on the size of the farm and how much time I spent. And then I would use that money to facilitate the travel and going to the conferences 
And you know as well as I do that you don't get paid anything for writing. That's true. <laughs> and That's so I was, get, I, yeah. I was getting eight cents a word, but I was not limited. So you could write long in how pieces. Many, oh, I, I would put out 2,400-word um, articles. And, and they'd publish oh every God, word? Oh, my God, I would have like $213 paydays on those things. Sweet. Jeez. And you, you could know. crank it out pretty quick? Yeah, and because it was it was a constant it was a constant um, deal. So you're just and, and there was no lack of content. You're just trapped in the milieu. In other words, you're constantly talking about you know uh, manure issues or genetically modified crop issues or pesticide issues or animal health or you're visiting all the farmers and you're talking to them, and then they have all these anecdotes and so then. You verify the anecdotes, and then you provide the expert testimony to the. See what I mean? Yeah. You go from one thing to another, so it was very fruitful, you know. In, in so I could, I could gather. I knew what I was gathering. I could go from farm to farm and get all the good stuff. And then, you know, all of a sudden there I was delivering this information. I remember when I went to this um, FDA thing in Canada, in Ottawa. It was the. It was the Codex Alimentarius for Food and Agriculture Organization for the UN. It was very, very high-level stuff. The Codex Alimentarius. Yeah, what is that? International food. So if you want to export uh, a product and you want to label it as halal, which is the Arab version or Islamic version of kosher, then, then... they were making sure that everybody was on the same page with regard to what is halal. Oh, I see. See, so they so all the Delineate cut, all, all the the manufacturing or exporting countries then were by virtue of their participation in the UN meeting. Okay. Were learning about organic. They were learning about kosher. They were learning about halal. They were learning about um, hazardous critical control point measures for export and import. What the and then what the what the uh, the the requirements would be for importing into like uh, European Union, which okay. is, has a high standard of much higher than the U.S. No, but I mean it's a lot different than than importing into probably Indonesia. Okay. Wow. What'd you write to the FDA? You did you seriously want to share your oh F- yeah your letter to the FDA? No, so I was going to say like when I went to this thing, I said there oh, was okay. like one of fourteen people. In this, in this committee. Okay, wait, hold, hold one, hold that thought. Let me. Here, You're just, over with. No, no, I'm, I'm fine. It's just there's a little. It just keeps popping in here. The, the, where the cable goes in. All right. We'll edit that. We'll make that clean. The most interesting part of that little anecdote about that FDA Codex Elementarius. Uh huh. Um, meeting in Ottawa was I was sitting in the in the preliminary introductions on the team and so the team went from high end to low end and ran the gamut of non-governmental organization representatives somebody was there from the consumers union and so on and me uh, representing organic farmers I was sitting right next to the guy from Monsanto cool who I introduce myself and tell him who I am and what I'm doing, what my background is, this guy stands up and says, in a really loud voice said, who let this guy in here? <laughs> who, whoa, 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 why is this? He just, he just, I was going to cancel him out. He could see that 
Gonna, that I was gonna screw with him. Okay, you came back on. I was, I was gonna, sc- I was. What? Well, how did this guy get in here? It's a plant. <laughs> Kick him off of here. See, because now anything he says, I'll refute. You see, they have all this balderdash that they're constantly talking about that they've been talking about for twenty years. It's the same crap. If you have somebody who has any kind of alternative take on it, you know, there it's like it's very easy to refute them. Very easy. <laughs> okay. Uh, are you? St- well, you're still writing a lot, right? Well, I write those little. I saw a newsletters. R- you know, the Forager, which are always fun. The Forager. Okay, so now this is what this, what we were talking about was. Yeah. What we were talking about. You're was, getting a refrigerator. Yeah, we're doing a refrigerator. So now what we were talking about was, the next thing that's coming down is the Food and Drug Administration is proposing these rules that will govern all the farms. And they want to have oh. this massive avalanche of regulation, oversight, paperwork, reporting, and testing. Even for small farms, they want me to fence my farm to, to eliminate um, the incursion by, by wildlife. They want to know if, it's, if, if we should or should not have bird-scaring devices, sound you know, explosions in the field. Like cherry bombs? To, yeah, to eliminate the, the risk of... Um, of uh, of uh, the uh, swine, the the avian flu, and so on. Like this, it lived, I don't know wh- what science fiction movie these guys have been looking at, but it's like they're very very scared, and so they want us to essentially all one one shoe fits all. Okay, and, and so this, they are so the regulations, we've had these big problems. The regulations are not actually in place yet. No, they're, so they 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 want us to respond to their proposal. And essentially what they're doing is they're saying they're saying um, uh, because uh, Peter Pan peanut butter down in Georgia killed 16 people four years ago and because Earthbound Farms lettuce or spinach made 29 people sick in Indianapolis five years ago, the whole food system is at risk. And so every farm has got to knuckle under to this is this really fear or is this just some sort of uh i think effect of, of i think it's lobbying I think the, dollars i think i think it's the the big bosses the big boys who are who uh don't like all the direct marketing who don't like the csas who don't like the farmers markets who don't like the growth of this thing which is explosive and i think that they're trying to slow it down any way they can because they also, if they read the press, what they're looking at also is this explosion of new farmers. Mm-hmm. That the farm population for the first time last year uh, grew. And wow. that's because people like Wiley, John Fontaine, yeah. Quinn, all these new farmers are coming up. And that's just in Ohio. Yeah. There's lots of new farmers. And Wiley and John are not going to be four acre farmers for long. Eventually, they'll want 15 or 20 or 200 acres, and they'll all be driving gigantic pickup trucks. Yeah. You know, and they'll be big organic farmers going to all the farmers markets and, and essentially creating this alternative marketing program, which is uh, counter to the expectations of the monopolistic corporate mold. They don't like it. They don't no. like this. It was like they could ignore it years ago. Because it was such a small ah, piece of the market. Cares, you know. Yeah, but now it's a big deal. Now it's billions. Now it's not, not just a few million. Now it's billions of dollars, and it's exponential. Because organic keeps on growing at these exponential rates. 
and the CSAs. The C, there were like 110 CSAs in 1990. There's 3,500 of them now. That's U.S. That's not, yeah. That's not just California or something. That's U.S. Oh, wow. That's really huge. Oh, yeah. And then these, these CSAs have all these, these, these communications and cooperation systems where, like, I get food from BD or, I get, or Wiley gets food from me or I get apples from Sunny. Eh? Uh-huh. See what I'm talking about here? Yeah. So then there's this alternative system that's, that's growing up. And they can't control. Of, they can't control, they can't control tax control. and regulate and, and and but so they're they're claiming that that we're dirty, that that we're going to cause all these problems. So did you unleash some of that uh, petroleum distillate that you got cooked up inside your vitriol? That's, I know it's, it's it's very rhetorical. So I'm commenting on the FDA's uh, proposed rule 2011 N0921. And RIN 0910AG35. Listen closely, people. Called the produce rule. Since 1975, I've been a commercial organic farmer. I've been certified organic since 1983. The paradox looming over the rules about to be imposed by the FDA on growers like myself, producing on 15 acres, couldn't be more appalling. For nearly 40 years, I and my associates in the organic field have systematically adopted self-imposed regulations and standards designed to protect human health livestock health, improve and safeguard the environment, and provide transparency to consumers about where and how their food was produced. The federal proposals do little to really address the sources of foodborne illness and instead burden producers dedicated to providing honestly wholesome food with another regulatory system that ignores the biggest problem while pretending that paperwork will do away with a problem we don't contribute to. I've worked as an organic certification inspector, served on the Texas State Organic Advisory Board and the CCOF, California Certified Organic Farmers, Statewide Organic Certification Committee. I have worked as a consultant in food production and processing for corporations as large as Mars Incorporated and to small growers who have an acre of fruit trees. I served as a member of the U.S. FDA delegation to the UNFAO Codex Elementaris Commission 15 years ago in Ottawa, which we already talked about. The FDA seems to have largely ignored our history and the legacy of voluntarily eliminating materials and practices in our food production that threaten human health and the environment. As an aside, the reason why I puffed up that credential business with the Codex Alimentarius and the Yes. They listen to that. They pay attention they to pay that. Attention oh, they to say, oh, here's a here's a lifer. He's not just like some jackass. He's he actually he what he worked for us? What? (laughs) (laughs) Okay, go on. Um, The FDA, okay. Organic farmers long ago demanded that all animal manures be composted prior to field application and the composting process be verified and approved. That's one thing they're after. It's like the manure. The manure has Uh, to be composted. That's being used on the farms. The problem is, is that the organic farmers are already... Are already regulating it, have regulated it for 30 years. The problem is that almost all, like probably 80% of all the manure, is spread on conventional ground within, without any kind of regulation, any rules, any standards. Eh. And, and? Meanwhile, the greater percentage of raw manures. Okay, let's see. Yeah. We obligated farmers utilizing raw manure to maintain a 120-day set-aside prior to harvest. Yes, I say farmers. 
because the farmers wrote the rules that then called for strict standards. Meanwhile, the greater percentage of raw manures and even processed human effluent is transported and applied to conventional ground with perfect documentation, but without considering the fundamental question of safety with regard to pathogens from a source with such obvious potential to do harm. You can't pay the highway patrol extra if you want to go 120 miles an hour. So how can we condone dangerous practices only because the fees were paid? The FDA proposal ignores the measures and tactics direct market farmers adopt to create trust and emphasize responsibility in our relationships with consumers. We started the farmers markets. We started the CSA movement. We deliver direct to restaurants and small grocery stores and co-ops. Consumers come to our roadside farm stands. None of this work is performed anonymously by faceless employees in a vertical corporation loading interstate-bound trucks, servicing faceless customers hundreds and thousands of miles away. We have been providing proof of provenance and traceability longer than there has been a Food and Drug Administration. Remember, please, the circumstances that made the FDA necessary. It wasn't my farm stand. Shall I go on? Please, continue. I've been on hundreds of farms on a professional basis as an inspector and journalist, and I've seen some very peculiar and dismaying practices in those production areas, but rarely on any of the farms I visited. As I travel throughout farmlands in the country, I've seen some miserable circumstances that must be contributing to human illness through the food, the air, and the water. I'm not talking about the armada of spray rigs applying millions of gallons of active ingredient synthetic farm chemicals, but instead the kinds of pathogenic sources that government pretends it can control on the farm. I saw these hazards in feedlots in Kansas, in slaughterhouses in Omaha, in vast dairies in California and Arizona. I've seen immense tanker trucks hauling liquid manure from hog-confined feeding operations spewing contaminants on the roadbed and flinging residues into the air with their tires for miles and miles polluting every vehicle that shares the roadbed. Disgusting. And then when the Johnsons pull into their driveway and the grocery bag breaks open and the apples roll around on the filthy pavement and little Martha collects them all and sets them on the kitchen table, do you think you can trace that down? Will the record of that event be traceable in triplicate? No one in government has the courage to end these large-scale practices. Instead, public officials entrusted with safeguarding the public welfare are obligated to ignore these realities because of political pressure. Now farms like mine, where I long ago abandoned the use of manure or manure-based compost for fertility, where I chose my ground because I had no agricultural neighbors and because my well was unpolluted, that farm must pay for the negligence of public officials seemingly serving the interests of powerful private enterprise. That farm and thousands of small farms like it, where by design there is little chance of contamination, will now be regulated instead of the myriad culprits in the food system we know must be brought under control. Did you give it a, like a warm wishes? A with, Thank you with, so much for this with, opportunity with love? To, convey, to convey my opinion. <laughs> so, Stephen, um, what I mean, what are you enjoying most about your your dozen years here at, at the farmer and the cook? And what, what is it about this business that brings you the most joy? Let's see, the most joy. I would usually, say just like the people. You seem like you're having fun pretty much. We're having fun. The, the people, I would say. 
the employees, the, the, the customers, um, not taking ourselves entirely too seriously, you know, not, not being too anxious about stuff, having fun, just sort of having fun. What, what's your least favorite thing about this business that you have to deal with? Um, probably putting the toilet plunger on the, on the John when it's plugged up <laughs> or dealing with the, the, the county officials, the health department, the building and safety department, the, all those people. No, wait, uh, it's I'm, kind of improved lately though. The, the, we've, we've, we're, we're on, we're on much better terms with them. Did you have some trouble in the past? Well, you if you if you want to run a restaurant, I mean, when when you know when the inspector comes in with her clipboard, you, I mean, you know, you're in trouble. Yeah, you're bound to find something. I mean, if the, if the produce girl is eating an apple when they walk in, oh, game over. It's over. Yeah, you cannot put your hand to your mouth. It's against. I mean, meanwhile, <laughs> but still, you know, you can't have. You have to have some regs. I mean, you know, certainly. Like uh, uh, glass refrigerator doors in a kitchen. What's that? Can't have, can't have the glass refrigerator door. Why? It's just like the, it's like it's the wrong kind of equipment for that application. We like to have the glass refrigerator door you because see. you can see what the hell's in there. You don't have to open and that, it. The, and that, and that, and that, that reefer. That thing is a three door reefer, and it's got everything in there. I mean, God. Where where is that? Oh yeah, there I see it. You know. Oh okay. Instead of like opening, looking, yeah, you have to digging. open up. Well, you know, there's everybody always puts the same stuff everywhere. Eventually, right? I mean, you get the systems down. Hopefully, yeah. I mean, the salad dressing is on the second level in the second drawer. Yes. Yeah, you know, you know that. Yeah. Well, I don't but know still. that. I've not worked in the kitchen here. But no, but we know it. Okay. But still, but it's now. I think I think she had to throw down. These things aren't aren't cheap. I think I think that thing costs thirty six hundred dollars. Oh yeah, I didn't I didn't figure it was. I mean, no, even, no, everything's a home refrigerator. I mean, it's the same expensive. thing. Like that stove right there, that stove, right? It's this like one here? it's beefy and so on. Oh, but it's, it's four times something you could put in your house. It's probably five grand. Easy. Yeah. Oh yeah. Um, well, let's wrap this up. Get back to work. I uh, well, yeah, I got to go get the escarole. Okay, good. Um. Do you see things changing in the future? Or what would you recommend to people who, uh, like myself, I really prefer to eat organic. I'm not a Nazi about it. I'll eat I'm not conventional either. food. I don't, I'm not either. I, I'll but, go out to eat somewhere else. Uh, oh, you know. I mean, can we just get Cisco to have an organic division? Or and can no, we get... They, that's, from, that's from the top down. Everything works from the bottom up. Okay. You remember what Mao said. Oh, what did he say? From the bottom up. Oh. You can't do top down stuff. Okay. And so when that's how the that's how the organic thing started. <coughs> when so many customers pestered and pestered and pestered Vons to to participate and to get an organic section or to buy organic produce and to sell organic produce, the people who run Vons finally markets said, "Okay, God, shut up. We'll do it." <laughs> they didn't want to do it. Uh-uh. They didn't. It wasn't in their best interest. And then, you know, I was I was there at the beginning of this whole thing, and I was at this conference, and I was sitting right next to this guy named whose name was Dick Spazano. 
Okay. And Dick was the executive vice president of produce for Vons. Uh-huh. He was the cheese. Okay. He ran produce at Vons Markets. Okay. You know, and everybody's yammering at him. You know, hey, come on, Vons has got to get on the organicus. And Dick says, no, 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 you don't understand. I'm not going to do it. Boo. <laughs> now Vons. Dick says, no, 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 you don't understand. There's not enough demand. We hear it here and there, maybe from West L.A. Well, you know, but I can't, I can't go there. I'm not going to go there. And besides, you want me to buy this organic stuff, right? Because it's good for you, right? Because it's so healthy. Yeah. That's why you want me to do it, right? Right. He's like, there's this crowd of like 800 people in this auditorium. Yeah. Dick says, and you want me to do that, right? You want me to do this, this really good stuff, right? It's all clean and healthy. Well, did you ask yourself this? What's it going to say about the rest of the stuff on my store? <laughs> if I say, hey, eat this. This is good for you. <laughs> but the and all the rest of this stuff. <laughs> goodbye. <laughs> it's like, it'll kill you. Now, just this think about it. Five years ago? Just, just think about ago? my position for a minute, will you? That's the funniest damn thing I ever heard. When was Dick that? was completely 1989. Oh, Dick geez, was, that's forever Dick, ago. Dick was, Dick was completely... Right. He was smart. He was sharp. What's that going to say about the rest of the stuff in my store? It's going to kill you. <laughs> Eat this organic stuff. This is good stuff. <laughs> but you see, they had to be drug kicking and screaming to, the, to do it. I mean, and that's because Glenn and Gwen and all the consumers, you know, talk to Frank. Say, Frank, I need this organic. Hey, like, when are you going to get organic in here? And Frank says, then Frank calls up Central Receiving down in L.A. and says, Oh, my God, I'm getting hammered by these people. What can you give me? Organic carrots? And it says, yeah, 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 man, we're working on it. You know, yeah, that's how it works. And then finally, after 20 years, they do it. They, they got into it, you know. And so, yeah, that's the way it's happening. So now, like, you know, Pacific Produce, these guys I buy from out of Oxnard, mm-hmm. I, I told them if they will go down to L.A. on the odd days when I can't get produce and go to the vendors down there like, Albert's Better Life, Heath and Lejeune, and buy stuff from them, I will buy it from them. And I probably buy $2,000 worth of produce from a Mexican outfit, Pacific Produce, that all the rest of their business is almost all like some restaurant, a lot of restaurants, but you know they're, they're, a, they're a Mexican house. They do a lot of Mexican restaurants, and they do a lot of you know, conventional food. And, and now I grow vegetables for them. Oh, okay, cool. Pacific. Wow. I sell vegetables to Pacific. <laughs> he, they, and, and then their buyer says, oh, yeah, yeah, we're getting a lot of interest in this organic stuff all of a sudden. They said, yeah. Oh, you know, we should try to sell it to the, to the people at LaGloria and down in Oxnard. <laughs> you know? I don't know who any of those names are. Oh, that's the, just, the, just... The, big, the big Mexican-American Mexican store. Down oh, okay. on Oxnard Boulevard, the Gloria. The Gloria is like this gigantic thing. Oh, okay. Or Tracieras, or some of these places that cater to Mexican Americans and Mexicans. You know, the sure. big, you know these the the the, the 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 great you know non participants in the whole organic thing. Oh, okay. So that's kind of you know that's huh. that's how it happens. Like, so see, I told these guys to go down there, and they 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 didn't really want to do it. But now they got this big trade going, and now you know they're all happy with themselves. <laughs> that's gonna feel good. I mean, that's gonna feel rewarding to to have that kind of influence and impact on the market a little bit. Well, I had no idea this was gonna happen to them. They were just doing me a favor. 
But I did tell I did tell the guy that run it ran it. I said, if you'll do this, and then you'll go to all these other people like Rainbow and to Westridge, and you'll start providing them the same service you're doing me, you'll see that you're going to have an extra four or five hundred dollars on your truck every week, every day. So the two thousand dollars of produce is that a month or is that a, a week? week? You're doing two thousand dollar purchase from produce? them. Congratulations. Bananas, mangoes, eggs, stuff I don't grow. Yeah, what's up with those uh, eggs? Is there any local eggs anymore? No. Uh, well, Karen, the local eggs are very hard to come by. They are. Yeah. Um, okay, Steve, let's wrap it up. Go get well, the thank escrow. you very much. I got to go get thank the escrow. You. Thank you so much for letting me interview. I really appreciate it's it. It's been come a lot of the, fun, Chris. Come thank out to you. the farmer and the cook and thank uh, you, Olivia. have dinner tonight. What's for dinner, Olivia? Oh, raised cabbage. Over here. What is it? Raised cabbage with wine and uh, a lot of uh, winter vegetables roasted with... It's complicated. But baby anyway, carrots? Um, Are there baby carrots? There's a roasted baby carrot salad with a beet ricotta made with the goat goat's milk from Megan's goats. Yum. How about escrow? Do you still want that escrow? Yeah. <laughs> okay. Okay. I think that's an order. Okay. Goodbye. So there you have it. My conversation with Steve Sprinkle of the Farmer and the Cook. Farmerandcook.com is the uh, URL. They are also on Facebook with the page. If you look at Farmer and the Cook, you'll get it in the drop down. Enjoy some organic food. Know where your food comes from. You know, the, there's few things in life that uh, are more important than what you put in your body. I mean, it's probably a good idea to have some a good beverage now and then to stay hydrated and a good meal to stay uh, filled with food and uh, some good clean air and maybe some uh, light and some darkness. And uh, let's see, what else can you put in your body? Uh, can you put darkness in your body? I know people got darkness coming out of their bodies sometimes. Uh, okay, um, that wasn't the point. The point is, uh, food is important. And then uh, thank you for listening. Uh, shop at the Farmer and the Cook. Or catch them at the Farmer's Market on Sundays in Ohio downtown. They're near the back on the left. Do, 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 do. Thank you, Jim Bailey, for the theme music. Right on, Chris. That was pretty cocoa. Thanks, buddy. Mm-hmm.